0: just go to cars.com it's magical this
1: is the falcoholic podcast the official podcast of the Atlanta falcons on the sb nation podcast network this is david walker and today's special podcast we begin our review of the dimitrov years with the atlanta falcons to help me with this task, I've invited a special guest to join me on each of these episodes as we break down the trades, free agent signings, and draft picks made in the Dimitrov era. My guest today is the Falcoholic himself. Of course, we have to start off 2008 with the one and only Dave Cho. Dave, thanks for joining me.
2: I'm happy to be here and relive my glory years.
1: (laughs) 2008 was certainly a glory year. Um, So let's talk quickly about what took us into this pivotal season for the Atlanta Falcons, the first under head coach, Mike Smith and new general manager, Thomas Dimitrov. Obviously the 2007 season was the disaster uh, where Mike Vick was convicted for dogfighting. Bobby Petrino left in the middle of the year. Uh, the Falcons went four and 12 ended up with a top three pick. Um, and the franchise frankly was in shambles it was uh one of the most devastating seasons i believe in falcons history and even with vic many people were not many fans were not ready to fully move on from him so as talk started drumming up that the falcons could consider a quarterback uh, namely matt ryan being the, the number one uh, quarterback in that draft class there was a lot of talk amongst falcons fans that they did not need to look at the quarterback yet that Vic would be out of prison in the near future and that they could restart the franchise with him at the helm. Um, So before we get into that particular discussion, uh, which is certainly fueled with a lot of uh, opinions, uh, including some Dave that you had at the time, uh, (laughs) I do want to talk about free agency because coming in before we even get to the draft, the Falcons, I think it's fair to say blew up the roster and they blew it up in... Uh, a pretty dramatic fashion. I was going through in preparation for this podcast, I was going through the, the names of guys who the Falcons let go, uh, and who they signed in that free agency period. And it is a, an extensive list. Um, so Dave, I'm just going to hit you with some of the departures. I want to start first with, with these names, because honestly, some of this was, you know, maybe even stunning in, in, in hindsight, Um, some of the key departures, one of the first names, the first two names that popped to mind, tight end Algie Crumpler, who had spent his uh, career with Atlanta. Um, They released running back Warwick Dunn, uh, who is still (laughs) part owner in the Falcons franchise. Um, They traded away uh, former number one pick, uh, D'Angelo Hall to Oakland for a 2008 uh, second round pick and a 2009 fifth round pick. So let's just start there with those departures. Looking back, Um, did you feel like those were moves that the team had to make in letting go of some of these veterans that, you know, maybe they were associated with past regimes that they wanted to move on from?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, the, the algae crumpler one bummed me out. Um, you know, aside from Jesse Tuggle at the time, I definitely would have told you that probably algae crumpler was my favorite Falcon. Um, so seeing him go, well, I understood it, um, Yeah, that really stunk, you know, but I also, I did understand, I think, when we had a new GM coming in and when we had a new um, coach coming in, that this was going to happen because you have to remember how ugly and dispiriting 2007 was. And like at the time, you know, the Falcoholic was pretty young. That was really my first full season covering this. I was like 23 years old. I was a lot more resilient, probably then than I am now. <laughs> Not as broken down, um, but even then, it was it was just an insane season. You know, you you had your franchise quarterback, a guy that I loved, and I think the whole fan base was behind. You know, even if things were frustrating in Michael Vick, you had the quarterback carousel that year between Byron Leftwich, Joey Harrington, and Chris Redman. Um, there just wasn't much on that roster aside from a few pieces on defense and Roddy White emerging in 2007 happily that made you feel good about where they were going. So I think, you know, yes, it kind of got blown up and yes, there were some players I loved getting released, but even at the time, you know, I think if I went back and looked at it, I would have been upset, but not, you know, enraged the way I would be if like, they traded Julio Jones or Matt Ryan right now. Um, You know, it it just, it was clear that this team after the stink of Petrino and everything had to do something radically different. And so those moves were, were understood. They were, they were part of the price of business. Yeah. And
1: uh, difficult. Uh, Although I think after 2007, as you mentioned, I don't know that anyone was clinging tightly to any players at that point uh, with the stench of that season on all the guys who were on the roster um, I did hate seeing Algie Crumpler go, and obviously the Falcons would fix that uh, a year later when they uh, traded for Tony Gonzalez. Certainly, um, but at the time, tough to see him, uh, you know, be forced to move on. Uh, some of the other names that departed. You mentioned the quarterbacks Byron Leftwich and Joey Harrington were both uh, released, uh, allowed to walk. Um, tackle Wayne Gandy uh, was another name. Defensive tackle Rod Coleman. Uh, Uh. defensive back, Jimmy Williams, you know, so again, just, just a plethora of names, guys who were starters or, you know, at least rotational players, um, were just sent, (laughs) sent packing. Um, some of the guys they kept, uh, Chris Redman, uh, who actually I think for, you know, a few years was, uh, you know, looking back, that was probably a good move. He was a reliable backup. Uh, he did end up playing a couple of games, I I believe in 2009 when Matt Ryan got injured, um, so, you know, probably a quality uh, re signing there. And then uh, they retained a ticle, tackle Tyson Clabo, who on the right side ended up being, you know, one of our better offensive linemen for several years. Um, so, any of those names, Dave, you want to touch on as well uh, as we look towards the free agent signings next?
2: Yeah, I think well, part of the reason that that got off to such a good start was because the Falcons really did something that I think they they consistently failed to do later on in their tenure, which is you're, you know, it's different when it's your players, right? It's very hard to say these guys need to go um, or, you know, these guys are really the valuable guys. So you just, your vision gets clouded by that. But at the time they looked at Claybo in particular, I think a guy who had started 11 games in 2007, uh, um, you know, had, had, four false start penalties. I'm just looking at this now, Um, but saw enough there in, you know, a 26 year old tackle to say, maybe this guy can be an affordable starter for us. And not only was he an affordable starter for them, but he did not miss a game over the next, I think five seasons in Atlanta. So like that was an absolutely spot on re-signing for them, keeping Tyson Clabo around. And then, you know, you, you mentioned Redmond too, he was a really consistent backup for them. You know, he, um, I think, had a positive or or at least not a negative touchdown to interception ratio um, during his time in Atlanta, both as a part-time starter in 2007 and then as a backup to Ryan. And and they really have been chasing, I think, ever since. And I, I guess Schaub would probably qualify as the better their quarterback here. But for a long time there, they just did not have that guy behind Ryan. Um, so, you know, these are, these are relatively low impact moves. Claybo obviously was a bigger deal because he did end up being such a consistent starter for so long. But when you come in and this is what the next regime is going to have to do in Atlanta, you know, in 2021, you can't just throw it all out. You right. have to say, who are the guys that are going to be contributors for us? And one of the things that's exciting about that to me is you might have a case, where the new guys come in and they do something that Dimitrov was able to do in 2008 and Mike Smith was able to do and say, you know, these guys were overlooked maybe a little bit in the past regime, or they, they, we might've gotten to them a little bit late, um, but they can be quality contributors for us. So we need to, we need to keep them around and, and make sure that happens. And I don't know who those guys will be, but that's absolutely critical to getting back on your feet. And I think they nailed it in 2008.
1: Yeah. And Again, as we are looking at this from the standpoint of reviewing Thomas Dimitrov and and the job he did, I think you look at just what we've already talked about with free agency. uh, And in hindsight, all these moves made a ton of sense. And in many ways, he nailed it uh, across the board with these guys. So now I want to talk about some of the players that they signed. Because honestly, I think this is where, uh, again, you can look at 2008, in my opinion, as being just a banner year. Uh, to kick off uh, this new uh, revamped franchise with what they did, obviously in the draft, which we'll get to, but the signings in free agency I thought were uh, a home run. Um, and before we get to the most obvious name, I want to cover just three players. Uh, the the most insignificant is probably tight end Ben Hartsock. You know he came in, he was a blocking tight end. He he did a little bit while he was here, sort of a inconsequential name. But they brought in safety Eric Coleman, uh, veteran and kicker Jason Elam who uh, I believe was you know a key kicker in, in some of those uh, fourth quarter comebacks that Matt Ryan would become known for in his rookie year. Um, but the biggest name, I think, bar none, was easily running back Michael Turner. Uh, he was a backup to LaDainian Tomlinson uh, for you know, his first four years in the league. Um, he looked the part, at least when he got chances uh, with the Chargers, and we signed him in, and I would argue to this day that he is probably the best free agent signing the Falcons made in the past twenty five years. So I want to get your take on these players. Obviously, Coleman less so Hartsock, you know Coleman, Elam, but especially Michael Turner. What's your take on the the job that Demetrov did in sort of nailing some of these key free agents?
2: I think again, um, he never really got. Back to that, right, I think the first free agent class was brilliant, and I think that what the Falcons did that they've failed to do um, you know since then is take an under you know recognized asset in Michael Turner, a guy who didn't have a lot of wear and tear on him, had looked really good in San Diego, you know certainly would have gotten snapped up by somebody based on the work he had done, but you know really decided that they could with the coaching staff that they were bringing in install an effective run game with a guy who again, didn't have much in the way of tread on his tires and had a lot of promise was pretty young. Um, And they identified that guy and then they went out and signed him and Turner was an absolutely brilliant signing. And I think if you look at the signings for Steven Jackson or even Todd Gurley this year, like these are guys that were big names and for one reason or another, maybe their very best years were already behind them. With Turner, it was clear that you know his best years were ahead of him. We could not have known how yep. good he was going to be. There was just no way anyone could have known that, even Dimitrov. But that was a super savvy signing. And it was necessary because the Falcons didn't have enough at running back. And even if they had kept work done, they wouldn't have had enough at running back to right. support Matt Ryan as he grew. And they knew they needed that. And so those signings, the signings of Coleman, who was an effective player for a little bit, another you know savvy veteran signing, and then Elam, who the wheels fell off of entirely you know a year later, but was really good in two thousand and eight. Yeah. yeah, these were just like the Falcons came into the year, and you know no one would have blamed them. Arthur blank certainly wouldn 't have blamed them if they had come in and been a bad team again, you know that 's yeah. the price of rebuilding, but that 's not what they wanted to do. And I think, again, with the free agent signings, like that was the best example of Dimitrov taking stock of what he had in front of him and then trying to fill those holes in a way that was both forward-looking and let's take care of this right now. And I think kind of the, the shame of what came after that is is as good as some of these draft classes were, as good as the occasional free agent signing was, there was never anything that cohesive again. You know, he came in with such a good plan and it carried the Falcons a long way. Um, but yeah, that, that to me, Turner was definitely the defining free agent signing for Dimitrov and, and just a, a brilliant move. It really was. I, I think, again, who could have seen that coming from him? Yeah. <laughs> Cause
1: I correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Turner led the league in rushing in 2008. I mean, he was a, 1600 plus yards, uh, made a Pro Bowl, like just a home run of a of a free agent signing.
2: Yeah. Oh, and and that's the thing too is like he was so good, and Mike Malarkey was absolutely at the time the right coordinator um, for the offenses that started out. He was willing to run Turner into the ground, and I think the only thing, unfortunately, <laughs> with Turner is that he did run him into the ground, and yeah. you know by 2011, like it was clear that he was slowing down, but. You know those first two or three years for him were just glorious. I've never, I've never seen a year again from the Falcons running back as good as some of them have been. Um, yeah. Like two thousand eight, that was just that was bonkers. I think Jamal Anderson's ninety eight is the only season that really competes with that.
1: Yeah, and I, I think
2: most people look back and
1: they will credit this signing with helping to ease Matt Ryan into the NFL because. We, we lose track of it now with the NFL quarterbacks are drafted. They're expected to play immediately, especially if it's a first round pick. Back then, it was somewhat rare for a rookie quarterback to come in and be the starter on day one. And I think we forget that. And Ryan came in and I think the Falcons, just like you said, they had such a great plan for taking the load off of his shoulders to minimize what he had to do in the offense so that they could ease him into the NFL. And I think that became sort of a, a new standard for other teams across the NFL of how to ease a rookie into that very, very difficult position. Um, I would say that the the reason we've seen Matt Ryan have as much success as he has had in the league is due in part to that particular signing that helped uh, to anchor the offense in his rookie year. So We're going to get into the 2008 draft class next. And this is certainly, as we just talked about with Matt Ryan, certainly one of the most pivotal ones in the Dmitroff era. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! Just go to fritole No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4 3 2023. Void, wherever hip Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at fritole And
1: we are back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is Dave Walker. I'm joined by editor in chief of The Falcoholic, Dave Cho. We are talking about the 2008 season and the job that former Falcons GM, Thomas Dimitrov, did in kicking off a new era for this Atlanta Falcons franchise. So Dave, first half, we talked about free agents. That's only one half of the equation. If you're going to have success in the NFL, it comes down to what you do in the draft. And maybe more importantly than anything, many GMs will hit on numerous, numerous picks. But until you get that first position cemented, the quarterback position, you can hit on a bunch of picks and still flame out as a GM. So let's talk about this 2008 draft class. It certainly starts at the top in the first round with the third pick. The Atlanta Falcons took Matt Ryan, quarterback out of Boston College. It seems so long ago, and yet it was just 12 years. Um, Looking back, the two guys that went in front of him uh, tackle Jake Long, who went to Miami, um, who had a decent career, and uh, defensive end Chris Long who went to Seattle. And he actually, he had a pretty long and good career in the NFL as well. But I think bar none, looking at that first round draft class, there is no player who had as good a career uh, across the board of any of these guys than Matt Ryan. Um, So talk about the Matt Ryan pick, what you felt about it at the time, and looking back, how you feel about it now.
2: Yeah, at the time it was, uh, (laughs) uh, so here I get to do my favorite thing, which is open myself up for ridicule (laughs) over and over again. Um, So I was a Glenn Dorsey enthusiast Um, at the time. That was my guy at defensive tackle. And I looked at the Falcons defense and I was like, do you know what they could really use is somebody to pair with Jonathan Babineau, Um, right? You know, try to create the foundation for a dominant defensive line. It was already, I think pretty clear at that point that Jamal Anderson was probably not going to work out, but I was like, Give him the help. Let's see what happens. And I I was one of those people that thought, you know, you could wait for a Joe Flacco. You could, if you really wanted to, wait for a Brian Brom or a Chad Henney and, and, you know, maybe really worry about getting your next quarterback, um, you know, a little bit down the line in favor of Dorsey. And part of the reason I thought that at the time is because Matt Ryan was the local guy. You know, he was on TV a lot near me because he was the quarterback for Boston College. Um, And I had seen some of his decision-making, and at times I was was just not impressed by it. I was like, it's a good Mm -hmm. player, but he's going to throw, I think, too many interceptions and make too many shaky decisions in the pros. And so that was where I landed on that, was don't do it. Get Glenn Dorsey, get Jake Long, shore up the lines you build from the inside out. We'll worry about quarterback in the future. Um, it obviously didn't take me long to figure out that I was wrong about that one. Uh, very little time at all. Ryan was obviously impressive right out of the gate, and then has cemented himself as not only the best quarterback in Falcons history, but he will go down, um, you know, as a, a Hall of Fame caliber player, whether he makes it in or not. So that was that was the master stroke, and I think it seems so easy now, but you have to remember that he got picked number three. Um, you know, that he did not go to a quarterback and ED team in front of the Falcons, sometimes these decisions aren't slam dunks. And sometimes you have regrets about the way things went years later, um, even with the choice of the quarterback you pick. I think the Bears with Trubisky is a classic example of falling in love with the wrong guy and, you know, talking yourself into somebody who maybe isn't the right pick. So for the Falcons to stick to their guns and say, Ryan's our guy. And again, we're going to build this team to make him successful as quickly as possible. You know that, That's an approach that has borne a lot of fruit. It's never gotten the Falcons quite to where we want them to go, but it was clearly the right first pick and, and remains the defining pick, really, of the entire era for Thomas Dimitrov.
1: Yeah, and I think you will be forgiven the multitude of sins as a GM if you get the quarterback pick correct. And ultimately, I think in many ways, that is what happened with the Falcons. Because uh, as we go into future years, I think we, we've talked about this at the Falcoholic, but there were several draft classes under Mike Smith and Dimitrov that were just absolutely terrible for, for one reason or another. Sometimes injuries play a, a huge factor in that, and sometimes it's just the picks themselves. But you have a quarterback here who literally... Without his fourth quarter comebacks in the Mike Smith years, would the team would have never have had a winning record? Um, I told someone that uh, statistic uh, recently, and they were stunned. But even in the thirteen and three season uh, of two thousand ten, Matt Ryan had six fourth quarter comebacks. You take those away, and that's a seven and nine team, and that shows just how much of an impact having that that one pick can make on an entire franchise. Uh, indeed, for more than a decade and we're still in many ways benefiting from it uh, or adversely benefiting from it because the, the team continues to win and maybe playing themselves out of premier stock position uh, for the draft. But yeah. here we are um, another pick in the first round for the Falcons. And then uh, I feel like this one is going to get some fans lit up because they traded up to get this guy. Um and he does not have a great reputation with Falcons fans. The 21st pick in the first round, Sam Baker left tackle out of USC. And just for reference, I do want to point out, in fair or not fair, um, Dwayne Brown uh, would go several picks later to Houston. Uh, and obviously, Brown, between him and Baker, had the much better career of the two guys. Uh, Dave. Tell me about Sam Baker. What are your
2: takes on him and him, the Falcons really going up to get him? It was a huge mistake. I, I think it was an it was an obvious mistake, maybe not right at the moment. I, I think the hesitation was the team choosing to trade up to get him. And you know, I know they were looking for that, you know, long-term blindside protector for Matt Ryan, but Baker had enough question marks that I don't think he was the guy that you should have traded up for. I think that if you look back at that draft class and how things went down, um, I think the Falcons got a little bit jumpy that they were going to lose their shot because not only did Jake Long go right at the top of the draft, but Ryan Clady, Chris Williams, uh, Goster Cherlis, Jeff Ota, these guys all went between um, you know the first and 19th pick. So that run on tackles, had already kind of happened. And so you were left with, I think, either Baker or Dwayne Brown. And I think the Falcons, you know, maybe it's easier to say in hindsight. I think if I remember correctly, I like Brown better at the time, but don't quote me on that because I'm probably wrong. Um, You know, at the time, the Falcons felt like they were not going to get that tackle and they were going to expose, you know, Matt Ryan to an absolute beating without one. So it was a little bit of a panic trade. And I think you know, we've seen how itchy Thomas Dimitrov got with trading up over the years. And I think this is just a classic example of him identifying a need, being afraid that that need was going to go unmet, and making the move he felt he needed to, to get up there. And I I think when you look back on Baker's career, it's fair to wonder if he would have been better had he not been hurt. I mean, he only played eight games his very first year and he played, I think, two full 16 game seasons. I mean, his 2012 season was brilliant. It was actually a great season. Um, But everything else in between there, you know, there were issues here and there. Um, But I think he was a pretty solid tackle. I think it was a defensible trade up to get him. Um, It's just kind of a shame it didn't work out. And that in the end, you know, especially after he got his big contract, he just was not the same guy and he was not out there a lot. And I think he played nine games his final two seasons. So, you know, maybe the right move at the time, wrong guy in retrospect. And even at the time, probably, but it, it's hard to blame the Falcons in a lot of ways for, you know, not wanting to get Matt Ryan killed immediately, <laughs> you know, <laughs> entering into the league. Like it came from a good place that, that trade. I think it did.
1: Yeah. I, I think the move made sense. And in- As you mentioned, it's probably a good bit of hindsight to argue between Baker and uh, Dwayne Brown. I don't know that there was a a massive consensus that Brown was better. I think it was probably split, uh, and the Falcons certainly thought they saw something in Baker. Uh, And as you mentioned, injuries are sometimes, you can't predict that. And it does have an equalizing effect uh, across all franchises, for better or for worse. Um, All right, second round. This is interesting because um, I feel like this player was—I don't know—I'll have to get your opinion on this. Uh, Curtis Lofton at number the thirty-seventh pick, linebacker out of Oklahoma. He obviously didn't last with the franchise as long as many people thought he would, but I would argue for m- several years, the time he was here, he's actually a quality starter, uh, and they clearly drafted him to ultimately replace Keith Brooking. Uh, Who would depart after the 2008 season? Um, So, what are your thoughts on Curtis Lofton and the draft pick itself and his time in Atlanta?
2: That was a a no brainer to me. I liked the Lofton pick at the time. I liked Lofton throughout his tenure in Atlanta. I think he's just one of those weirdly forgotten guys now. You know, when I think about linebackers, when I was putting together like the best of the last decade lists and stuff. I always was surprised to see Lofton's name, even though, you know, he started almost every game for the four years he was in Atlanta and he had gobs of tackles, several big plays. Um, yep. you know, that 2011 season by him was terrific. Um, one of the better ones in recent memory for a Falcons linebacker and he was a great fit for what Mike Smith wanted to do on defense. Um, so I think that was a really savvy pick. I think Curtis Lofton was a good underrated player And I think it's kind of telling that the Falcons had so much trouble for so long at linebacker after he left. I think it was a mistake to let him go. I'm not saying that, you know, he would have rescued that defense. I don't think there was anybody that was going to rescue that defense (laughs) under Mike Smith. Um, But yeah, that was another, I thought, a great pick, filled a need. and, And he ended up being a quality starter for four years, which, you know, we've seen a lot of second round picks in Atlanta not go that way over time. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, some of the other names in that second round uh, that stand out, players that uh, you know the Falcons may have had an opportunity to get, uh, running back Matt Forte, um, wide receiver Deshaun Jackson, um, defensive end Calais Campbell. Uh, let's see here. And uh, running back Ray Rice. Uh, so some good names in there. But I, I think in looking at the needs at the time, Curtis Lofton to me made a ton of sense. And his play in Atlanta, I think, justified – he went. So again, I think another solid pick. Um, But as we get into these uh, later rounds, this is going to get interesting. And this is, I think, the if there is a strong criticism for Dimitrov in in his draft classes, it's that the middle rounds tended to be wildly erratic in the hit rate, Uh, especially under Mike Smith. I think we actually saw more success under Quinn than uh, under Smith. But this was the first time as we get into the mid rounds. So third round, 68th pick, the Falcons took Chevis Jackson, cornerback out of Louisiana State. They actually had three picks in this round. So I'll rattle all three of these off real quick. Uh, Number 84, they took Harry Douglas, wide receiver out of Louisville, uh, who went to Jonesboro High School here in uh, Georgia. And the number 98th pick, they took Thomas Dekud, safety out of California. Um, so two of those names uh, jump out, I think, for good reasons. Uh, Jackson, I think. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. uh, so let's look at these three third round picks. Um, what's your feeling about the, qualities, the quality of these guys and how they may have ultimately worked out and whether Dimitrov did a good job with this particular third round?
2: I think by and large, he did. I think, you know, Douglas and Deku are guys that aren't maybe as remembered, remembered as fondly as they might have otherwise been. I think Deku got a reputation as somebody who was not, you know, in love with contact and and was a little mouthy, certainly a little bit sensitive, um, (laughs) you know, to criticism at times, but he was a quality safety um, and for multiple years. And I, I think that that gets lost in that. I think he made a Pro Bowl. Probably 2012. I feel like that's when everybody made their Pro Bowls. Um, yeah. You know, and he ended up starting the majority of the games for Atlanta um, over the course of six seasons. Like that's that's nothing to sneeze at. We've seen what's happened to the Falcons, unfortunately, with injury at safety in recent years. And you know, he wasn't my favorite player or anything. And I think he he certainly had his miscues along the way. But the Falcons were a fairly decent bend but don't break defense for a long time there and I think that Deku was part of the reason for that so felt like he was a good pick um Harry Douglas obviously you know a guy that again I think it's incredible that he spent how many seasons in Atlanta um six he was here through 2013 yeah so so six seasons and he scored eight touchdowns like you want to talk about (laughs) Julio not scoring touchdowns that's insane (laughs) um but you know he he was a reliable contributor you know, he was kind of Justin Hardy-esque for the first three years of his career. You know, a guy who, who certainly got the job done, was pretty sure-handed, was willing to block when you needed him to. But then obviously in 2013, with all the injuries, he had kind of that breakout year where he was Matt Ryan's big target and fared pretty well um, that year. And then he did pretty well the year after too. So, you know, by and large, he had a a good career for a third rounder. He was a productive third receiver for six years in Atlanta. Like that's that's nothing to sneeze at. Again, if you get guys beyond a first contract um, and they're they're contributing at a fairly high level, that's that's a big deal to me. Third rounder later, especially. And then Chevis Jackson. Um, I don't know what happened to him exactly. I'm trying to remember if he was hurt or why he washed out. But you know, he played. In his first year, um, he only started one game, but he had a 95-yard interception return for a touchdown, a play I remember wow. really fondly. Um, five pass deflections. He to me, his first season, he looked like a potential quality contributor, and then he kind of got mothballed the next year, and then he was gone. So yeah. I'm not entirely sure what happened with Jackson. I think defensible pick, given that at the time, you know, he seemed to be kind of that big physical corner of the Falcons needed and eventually would try to replace with, with like Dante Robinson and guys like that, but obviously didn't work out first big miscue draft miscue of the uh, Thomas Dimitrov era. Um, and not the last one in the third round.
1: No, not by a long shot. In fact, it felt like for a while there, the third round was became his Achilles heel of, of all the mid rounds. Uh, so fifth round, the Falcons actually did not have a fourth round pick, uh, in this draft class. I believe they traded out of it. Um, the fifth round at 138, they actually had two in the fifth round as well. At 138, they took Robert James, linebacker, out of Arizona State, and then number 154, um, an infamous name, if you will, uh, in Falcons, uh, history, Croy Bierman, defensive end out of Montana, uh, defensive end slash linebacker slash safety. So what's interesting about Robert James, Dave, as well was looking at this, this guy stayed on the roster for like five years, and I don't think ever actually did anything except, you know, he played mostly on special teams. He was one of those guys that sort of got buried by Smitty onto special teams. Um, obviously, the more notable name here was Croy Bierman, who actually did end up having a, a long career with the Falcons, relatively long, all things considered. So what are your
2: thoughts on these two players and how the fifth round played out? Well, James is a guy who, and especially because I did not spend a lot of time and energy, you know, on special teams and breaking down snap counts and stuff early on in the Falcoholic. And so, you know, I think some of his contributions there probably got overlooked by myself and other um, members of the fan base because of that. He was a contributor on special teams, um, especially, you know, in, in 2012 However, you know, the joke with him used to be he must have something on Mike Smith because (laughs) he just was there and he was always there. He was always making it in the last linebacker spot and you could never point to a game and say he definitely did something. But, you know, and I look back on it now, too. I have this up in front of me and he only played one game in 2009, 2011 and 2013. So he really only contributed on special teams in 2012. So you you can't explain that one to me. Maybe he was a great locker room guy. Maybe he did have pictures of Smitty. Whatever it was, <laughs> uh, Robert James was obviously a whiff. You know, he was a whiff by Thomas <laughs> yeah. Dimitrov, and there were there were whiffs. Let's be honest. You know, there were whiffs, plural, in this draft class. Croy Bierman was not one of them. Um, Bierman is a guy who I firmly believe had he not been thrust into a full time starting role because of the Falcons' own personnel failures. You know, to get guys who were better than Croy Bierman so he could just be a rotational defensive lineman, um, he would be remembered very fondly today in the same way that Mm -hmm. I think a guy like Kamal Ishmael is mostly remembered fondly today because he rarely got overexposed. He had one stretch, Ishmael, where he was a starter for a bit and was okay. Um, But mostly he was just a guy who had a knack for making a big play as a backup and was a key special teamer. And Mm -hmm. Bierman did everything he was asked to do He's something ridiculous like in the top 10 all time for sacks for the Falcons, which is nuts. Um, but and depressing. And depressing, very depressing. But he was a guy who he would do anything you asked him, including play safety occasionally for Mike Nolan. He kicked one game. <laughs> if, if anybody remembers that, he did kickoffs. Um, and, and that oh was God, he did. that was who he was. He was just a guy that like Dimitrov was looking for you know, a, a chess piece type defender, they, they liked his versatility. They said that kind of in the pre-draft process, I remember for him. And he came in, and he was exactly what they needed him to be. He just got overexposed to this fan base. And they kind of hated him because he was not a great player, but he was playing starter snaps, even though there just wasn't an alternative, at least one that Mike Smith was willing to use. And so, I think, unfortunately, he's more infamous than he should be for a guy who, you know, I I think like Deku, really, if we're talking about that, um, played pretty well on balance the entire time he was here. And certainly for a fifth round pick was tremendous value.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's we lose sight of that because in recent history, we've got Grady Jarrett in the fifth round. Um, and that is exceedingly rare, not just for the Falcons, but for most NFL franchises. You generally do not find a future pro bowler or all pro player at any position in the fifth round. It is exceedingly rare. There is a reason these guys are going in the fifth, sixth, seventh rounds. It's not because uh, these teams are all dumb and they can't see it. It's generally because these guys are not projected to be you know, really, really good players at the next level. And Beerman, I felt like, outperformed his draft status on the whole. Um, and that's what you want. That's what you want from a GM is for him to find quality throughout all the rounds uh, in some form or fashion. The rest of the draft class for 2008 uh, was inconsequential. I'll run through them real quick, but we don't have to cover these. Uh, sixth round, they took Thomas Brown running back out of Georgia. He never even made the roster. Seventh round, they took Will Reeve. Fontanot, I believe is how you pronounce it, cornerback out of Arizona. He never made the roster. Uh, and then the 232nd pick was Keith Zinger, tight end out of Louisiana State. I think he played in 15 games, completely inconsequential. Um, so now that we've gone through this draft class, looking back on it as a whole, what is your overall assessment of the first draft class under Thomas Dimitrov?
2: I think on balance, obviously, it was, it was the transformative draft class. you got Matt Ryan, who is the greatest quarterback in this franchise history, still going, a major reason they were in the position to win as many games as they did over the last decade. You got Curtis Lofton, Sam Baker, Thomas Deku, and Croy Bierman, you know, who were all key contributors, and you got all of them in the second round or later. And yes, I think as we saw regularly in the Mike Smith era in particular the Falcons missed a lot late, you know, uh, Thomas Brown got hurt, I think, and that's why he didn't make it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they just wasted picks on guys who didn't end up contributing. And that was partly a function of, I think, how Mike Smith used young players. But nonetheless, it it, that kind of set the stage, I think, in a lot of ways for the ways the Falcons would draft going forward, which is they tended to nail those early picks and less injury you know, took a bite out of Perea Jerry or Sean Weatherspoon down the line or something like that. But they did struggle in the middle rounds and later. Um, Not always, you know, he had plenty of good picks in there, but that's kind of how things proceeded. So when you look at it on balance, I think, you know, the only other draft class that really belongs in the same conversation is probably 2016 for the Falcons under Dimitrov. This, This was the one that set the Falcons up to do everything they did from there on out. And I think if, if you think that, you know, they had bungled this draft class, right. We would just be another basement dwelling team. We would have been this entire time and all the, the angst and worry that we've had over, you know, is this team good enough to do X or, you know, I can't believe they lost in the Super Bowl, just never would have happened at all. So it it really was the transformative class. And despite its blemishes, you got to give the team a ton of credit for getting that one right as much as they did.
1: Yeah, and I think in hindsight, um, and arguably part of this is because the Falcons don't have a particularly good franchise history, but this draft class easily, in my mind, cements Dimitrov as the best GM the Falcons have had. Now, that certainly can change with whoever they bring in next, but I think it's hard to argue that the guy who brought in the franchise quarterback, who has a very legitimate shot of ending up in the Hall of Fame, Um, who helped to take this team to two NFC Championship games and one Super Bowl, um, who helped build that roster over time, that he is anything other than the best GM that this team has had. And that's with having just walked away from him. Uh, And I know sometimes it's hard to look at the success in the past, but would you agree, Dave, that uh, despite the way things have finished that uh, Dimitrov deserves
2: that recognition? It's especially in the light of what he did in 2008. There's no question. And I think, you know, the fact that obviously the Falcons did not have a lot of great GMs before Dimitrov, you know, really shouldn't take away from the fact that he consistently presided over a team that was competitive, you know, and was really good. The, The most successful it's ever been in its history for a sustained time. And, and, Yes, he is obviously the best GM in history. I think probably moving on was the right move and that a fresh perspective will help. We don't know that. That's all in the future. But there's a reason, you know, despite all of our frustrations with the way this team missed, uh, you know, pass rushers and its spotty free agency track record beyond 2008 and all that, um, he was the best executive they've had. Um, There's no question that he was and, and that, without 2008 and without Dimitrov specifically presiding over 2008, everything that proceeded from there, um, you know, never happens, as I said before. And, and, you know, if you're somebody who's kind of still scarred from the Super Bowl and, and think, what if I had never had to experience that? Maybe that's a bad thing. <laughs> but right. um, if you look at this team's success over the last decade plus, there's no question that he, he set that up. He was the guy who made this happen. And I think as time goes on, as was the case with Mike Smith, who I think is a lot more appreciated now than he was in 2015, um, (laughs) people will look back on Dimitrov and say, you know, on balance, you know, he did a a really good job, I I think. And he did, you know, it's if they had just come a little bit closer on the Super Bowl and won it, I think his place would be cemented forever. Um, But unfortunately, we don't live in that particular world. So we're stuck talking about how good 2008 was.
1: Yeah. Indeed. Um, You mentioned a few things. I'll I'll use this as a precursor to our upcoming episodes. Um, Some of the trends that showed in this draft class, the uh, missing in in the mid to late rounds, uh, and then the trading up, going after guys, giving up draft capital to do that. I think these are two things that he identified about himself early on, which would ultimately come back and Uh, bite the Falcons on a few occasions. But on whole, I think this 2008 season, and I want to remind people that going from four and 12 to 11 and five with a rookie quarterback at that time was completely unheard of. It was one of the biggest turnarounds of any franchise in any sport ever. And I remember that 2008 season, people were talking about How incredibly notable it was that the Falcons went from literally a a bottom of the league team to being in the playoffs the next year with a rookie quarterback who would win rookie of the year, um, an executive who would win executive of the year, and a roster that got completely rebuilt and immediately began uh, to compete. Uh, You don't see that as much these days, and I think it deserves the recognition that we're giving it. So, Dave, any final thoughts on the 2008 season or Thomas Dimitrov's time in Atlanta?
2: Yeah, I I say, you know, obviously, like I said, I think we were kind of ready for everything to change at the end of last year and and the team to bring in the new GM and coach that they'll finally be doing in 2021. But, you know, uh, he should be appreciated. And I do appreciate everything that he did for the franchise. And I think. We'll always be able to look back at 2008 and see, you know, a guy come in to a new franchise and really install a whole new team, you know, using a mix of free agency, the draft, and and things that were on hand. And I I just think that kind of job is amazing in hindsight, especially and and given what happened, you know, after he got established and it was harder to take that critical look at the roster, maybe. But it was a it was a tour de force type of thing and. If nothing else, you know getting Matt Ryan out of it was a big, big deal. So, I'd love to be able to go back and relive 2008 from start to finish and, <laughs> and realize how special that was, and then yell at Keith Brooking so he didn't do that. <laughs> oh, definitely,
1: definitely. Um, Paint one of the most painful um, incidences I can recall of that season. Um, so, Dave, thank you for joining us to kick off this series reviewing the Dimitrov years in Atlanta. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you
2: and what we have going on? Well, you can find me uh, at the TheFalcoholic on Twitter. You can find all of us at TheFalcoholic.com. And this week, uh, it's a little bit of a long week leading up to the Denver Broncos game, so we're taking a look at all the midseason awards um, that we should be handing out, midseason snap counts, trying to look forward a bit and then Getting ready for that last game before the bye against the Denver Broncos and seeing whether the Falcons can get their third win of the season or if we're creeping closer to seven and nine for the third straight year, which I do not want.
1: <laughs> oh, some of these things feel inevitable. Um, as for me, guys, you can find me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW, updates on this podcast at FalcoholicPod, and of course our articles daily at theFalcoholic.com. So for Dave Choate the Falcoholic himself, this is David Walker. Thank you, guys, for listening in. Talk with you next time.